Hello, you're listening to Which Moving Pictures Move Us, and I'm your host, Emma Bolsner. We've been talking about a few Best Picture winners from different decades in the 20th century this month. And for our last Oscar-themed podcast today, we will be talking about one of the greatest films ever made, The Godfather from 1972, starring Al Pacino, Marlon Brando, and James Caan. And with me virtually is my good friend Jamal. Hey, thanks again so much for having me. Of course, I wanted to have you back for this movie. (laughs) (laughs) And because also none of my friends would want to watch this movie. (laughs) Yeah, because three hours. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So The Godfather follows one Italian mobster family in New York City just after World War II. Don Corleone, also known as The Godfather, played by Marlon Brando, is the head of the so-called family business, and after an almost fatal murder attempt, must step down and retire, making his son, Michael, played by Al Pacino, the boss of the mafia family. However, Michael does not want to be part of the family business until he commits his first assassination and gets his first real taste of power. This was one of the first mafia films ever made after the production code was obliterated, making it an instant classic, even now, almost 50 years later. So, what do we think of Francis Ford Coppola's The Godfather? I mean, there's nothing really to say that hasn't already been said, in the sense that not only is it one of the greatest crime drama epics of all time it's one of the greatest films of all time um from you know the incredible incredible uh acting talent that's portrayed on screen to some of the greatest casting of all time uh incredible score gorgeous cinematography and just some of the best pacing i've ever seen in a film like it did not feel like a three-hour epic Um, but yeah, obviously I, uh, if you can't already tell, I did quite enjoy watching this film. (laughs) Um, I hadn't actually, fun story with that. I haven't seen this movie in over 10 years. Uh, last time I saw it, I was way too young. I didn't really (laughs) get it. I'm pretty sure I fell asleep for a good, like three quarters of it. Um, and I just, I didn't have the appreciation for film that I do now. So re-watching it now 10 years later after, like, you know, being a little bit more seasoned in this. It, it, it's fair to say this is just in every, you know, definition of the term with respect, a cinematic masterpiece. I totally yeah. agree. And just to go back for a sec, I was, I've never seen this movie, so... Um, I have the DVD because my parents both like the movie. So mm-hmm. I put it in and I was like, wow, three hours. And it does not feel like three hours at all. Like by an hour and 40 minutes, I was like, it's already been an hour and 40 minutes. Like, and the pacing, especially since it is an older film, is really well done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, yeah, you would have been like 10, man. That's really young. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I was watching at my grandparents' place and I saw it on the shelf and I was like, oh, can I watch this? And they just kind of blindly, without giving a second thought, were like, oh, yeah, go ahead. Just, you know, get out of our hair. And I'm like, I okay. Mean, it, is, <laughs> it is tastefully done, though. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and as being one of the first mobster films, I thought it was so great. Marlon Brando's performance, and I know he, he did get an Oscar for it, but he was he was just amazing. Yeah. Um, every the casting I was, was right like perfect. Shocked at some of the cast in this film. 
and like just you know, watching, and as you said, like, the film is almost 50 years old, seeing how young everybody is, like, Pacino, uh, Robert Duvall, uh, Diane Keaton, like, everybody, I'm like, I was so blown away, like, holy shit, you guys are so so young. I I didn't even know that was Diane Keaton, but I recognized her voice, and I was like, I know this person, and then I looked it up, and I was like, that's Diane Keen. I'd never <laughs> seen her in anything before Annie Hall, so mm-hmm. it was really cool seeing her so young. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was me with uh, Robert Duvall, for sure. Uh, for me, he was unrecognizable until I did the research after, and I was like, oh my god, that was yeah. him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, and Al Pacino, I think the first movie I ever saw him in was probably Scent of a Woman, where he plays a blind man. Mm. Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman's in that one. It's a pretty good movie, but I hadn't seen it in a while. So I always see him as this kind of 50-year-old man <laughs> aging. So seeing him young was quite a different experience as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I was going to say what your first memory is, but you already said it, so that's, <laughs> that's great. This this will be my first memory, because I'd never, I'd never seen it before. It- it's a pretty good first memory um, yeah. to have. Um, yeah, I'm glad I waited uh, until I was more mature and older uh, to watch this. I'm glad I didn't watch it like at 15 or something. Yeah, that so was smart I'm of glad you. That. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's a good call. Well, you can just, <laughs> so why do you think um, this movie is still so popular today? I think that, uh, especially within recent years, of especially when you look at a guy like, say, Martin Scorsese, for example, and how he's really kind of built himself around this master of gangster dramas and big epics. Um, I think that people have started to find kind of like a revitalized love in gangster films, especially within, I'd say, probably the last 10 years, uh, with shows as popular like uh, Peaky Blinders, uh, Boardwalk Empire, uh, Top Boy, stuff like that. I think that people have really started to look at gangster films in a different light. So they'll go, I guess, sort of exploring older examples of gangster films, sort of like, where did it all start? So you look at Scorsese's Mean Streets, uh, or even his most recent Mm -hmm. film, The Irishman. And of course, the film that so much of pop culture is based off of nowadays, The Godfather, one of the greatest trilogies of all time. Um, I think that, you know, like, people have just really kind of started to take a liking to it. And also... The film has aged so well. Oh, yeah. Holy hell. Like, the beginning to end, the way the film is shot, framed, the acting in it, and because it is essentially a period piece, um, as opposed to, like, being set in modern day during 1972, like, the fact it's a period piece of such an epic stature really kind of... I think pushes people really far towards like, okay, like this is something I can really get behind because it doesn't feel like it's aged poorly. It doesn't feel like it's really, you know, like it, 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 it's just one of those movies that like today looks like a film that could be made today. Yeah. Well, actually when I went into watching it, I mean, I recognized right away with the cars and the clothing, but I thought this was a movie that takes place in the 70s. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of surprised that it was right after World War II and Michael's coming back after being a war hero. And I was thinking, would this movie hold up? I mean, it probably would, but would it still hold up as well if it had taken place in the 70s? Mm. Um, or would we find it more dated? And I thought also with the period drama itself, um, sometimes there are movies made in the 70s 
that are supposed to be period dramas and they really look 70s oh, like yeah. with the costumes and everything <laughs> so i was really happy that this was tastefully and like accurately done <laughs> absolutely i think it's also interesting to note too that you look at a director like francis ford coppola and you study some of his other films so like you look at this you look at uh i'm pretty sure he did apocalypse now i actually let me fact check that because i don't want to look like an idiot um, I think he did. Yeah, so like this, Apocalypse Now, even um, uh, Dracula, uh, The Conversation, like he's a very meticulous director. And you can really tell by looking at the production of some of his films and really just kind of admiring this like cinematic sense of beauty that he really really has a knack for paying attention to the minute details to really make the world feel lived in, especially a film like this, or especially a film like Dracula, where it very much is like a bigger sort of more epic film. And he wants to do everything he can to get you really engrossed in this world that he's created. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think that that's also a reason this may have aged so well is because he does do such a good job of just making it like down to like, the most strict detail feel like it's a period piece gangster epic. Yeah. And, and you get into the movie from the opening shot with, um, he's asking for a favor, this man, and he didn't even invite Don Corleone to his house because Don Corleone is the godfather, literally to one of his children. And he says, well, you don't even invite me over for cake. Why should I do you a favor? And that's when you first really realize that Marlon Brando is very ethical in that respect and loyalty is like his favorite words to use. (laughs) It's just um, very, very important. And how he, he doesn't just kind of kill out of random. He chooses the people he wants to help. And they basically have to know that they owe him something when doing that. And I think Mm -hmm. that it's a really interesting way to start Mm -hmm. the film. I also found it, firstly, that opening shot and that opening monologue was incredible. (laughs) Oh my goodness, that was so good. But also it really kind of works towards the story and how it plays out for uh, Vito Corleone's character later. Um but how it really kind of builds him up as like this mystical character. Like he really is like, he he's essentially to this gangster world and for the people that follow him almost like God, like somebody that, you know, like they come to with their issues in hopes to please him and do everything they can to impress him. And the way that that opening sequence is shot with the single take uh, monologue as like, it slowly draws the camera back and then reveals uh, Vito Corleone, you know, like soft focused in depth yeah. of field. And you're like, this character is huge. He feels larger than life already. And we haven't even seen his face. It's just been a guy talking to him with a request. And it really makes you feel that this character is like untouchable. Like he is like, basically like the groundwork for this criminal underground yeah and and i like that we don't even see him right away and we're kind of the audiences in his perspective of looking at the the man sitting across from him and he's like has that really long monologue like you said where he's talking about the poor experience that his daughter Mm -hmm. went through 
And it's just a really interesting way that we're seeing it through his perspective. And then, the, like you said, the the camera movement is just amazing. And the oh lighting my God, yeah. with it being really dark. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, I was thinking right away when I saw it, I was like, wow, Marlon Brando's like a therapist where you tell him about your problems, except, you know, instead of like finding a way to work with the negative people in your life, he literally will yeah. kill them for you. And I, I just thought that was kind of he funny. He will directly <laughs> deal with your issues like a therapist would Yeah. by putting them into the ground. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> by uh, taking care of them for you. <laughs> Um, yeah, so then there's, like, that whole wedding scene, which is also really Mm -hmm. well done. I mean, the costumes are so amazing. And again, he doesn't even get a chance to enjoy the wedding because people just are, like, asking him for favors in the family business. And I just thought that was interesting, (laughs) too. I felt so bad for him. He's like, this is my daughter's wedding, and I'm doing business deals in a dark room upstairs. Like, I'm like, come on, man. (laughs) Yeah, it's like they just come to the party basically to um, to just use him, which is really sad. <laughs> but I don't exactly. know. Um, and then we first get the glimpse of a very young James Caan, who I've just known from Elf. So I was <laughs> I was really impressed. As I didn't recognize him right away, but I recognized his mm-hmm. name, and I was like, "Which one's James Caan?" And I was like, "Oh, whoa, it's him with hair." Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> And I guess he's more of, like, the hothead, right? Because um, Marlon Brando has, is it three kids, right? A daughter who's getting married, Michael and mm-hmm. Sonny. Is that I think correct? So. And then is is Tom his adopted son or just his lawyer? Uh, I think Tom is his, I think Tom's both. Like, he's an adopted okay. son that went on to become their lawyer, basically. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So... Mm-hmm. Uh, we kind of find out right away that Sonny's the hothead by breaking the FBI's camera. And I love how he just throws money at the, <laughs> the guy. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, that was I'm so honorable. Perfect. I'm paying for your new camera. <laughs> mm-hmm. It was fascinating, uh, that whole wedding sequence and how it so expertly kind of sets up each player. Um, and just so well, because it really, like you said, with like its introduction to Sonny being the hothead, in that first, like, 20 minutes really kind of displays each character's personality, their motivations, all that. Um, yeah, that that wedding sequence was brilliant. Um, yeah. A nice change from a Game of Thrones wedding sequence, so. Yeah, it's, it's really well done, and it's not too long, but mm-hmm. it, it's just the right amount of time. And then we see um, Michael bring his new girlfriend, who's Diane Keaton, uh, and I like how he's just brutally honest with her and just says, you know, when, um, is it Johnny Fontaine, the singer? I think mm-hmm. it's, I think he comes um, to sing at their wedding and Diane Keaton's amazed how they got Johnny Fontaine and Al Pacino basically says, or Michael basically says, um, oh yeah, we did a favor for him. You know, we made him famous. My father made him famous. And she's just kind of like, oh, okay. And he basically says like, you know, he made him an offer he can't refuse and it, and she doesn't even question it or think like, oh, maybe I should leave this wedding party. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, they're mafia. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, was... I was a bit shocked that she didn't even think, hmm, is this the best match for me? <laughs> <laughs> I 
Well, that was so great, too, because I've always, like everybody, heard the phrase, like, oh, like, I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. But actually watching the film and seeing what kind of offers they can't refuse are putting being put on the table, it puts so much more, like, sort of unstated weight behind the phrase. And yeah. the fact they use it as a callback a number of times throughout the film, and you're like... I don't know what he's talking about, but I don't necessarily know if I want to know. It's just, yeah. it, it, it's such good writing. I know. I know. And then it, it, it comes like consistently throughout the movie. Like it's not over overplayed, mm-hmm. but um, it's, it's used at the right times. Of course, when we first see Tom using it uh, to the movie pro- or director, um, <laughs> that old scene was really well done. As uh, I mean, it's all well done, but it was interesting how uh, I almost think the film director thought like, oh, I showed him, you know, as nobody like stood up to mafia people before. And then obviously the tragic thing occurs with his horse. And as a horse lover, that was not a fun scene, to, even though I knew it was coming. <laughs> just not not the fa- <laughs> favorite oh, thing to see in the world. <laughs> that was such a brilliant scene. But I'm like, like watching it, I'm like, these are... These are some really good effects, Coppola. Yeah. Um, what'd you do? <laughs> I know. Compared to, like, two years later, how, like, bad the shark is in Jaws. Oh and God. how this was made, like, three years before. And it's really, really accurate. I'm like, damn, that's, uh, that's real convincing. <laughs> that's actually thinking... really disturbing. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking, why is the film producer even showing, like... A, a guy that's part of the mafia, like, oh, yeah, this is my, like, six grand horse or something, or maybe more, I can't remember. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, don't show him the horse. <laughs> now he knows what he has against you. Mm-hmm. But I was thinking, like, also, if he's killed his horse now, I guess it would he'd be worried for his life because I thought, well, now he's done the worst thing to him. Like, what if he, what if he didn't give him the part, but then I guess he would be killed. Mm. Well, not only did they kill his horse, they put it in his bed. Yeah. That's insane. He woke, like, he fell asleep. They put it in while he was asleep, obviously. He wakes up. Like, that is, and I think the biggest implication with that is that they're demonstrating that they can get to him literally anywhere. Yeah. And that is such a horrifying thought that it's like, oh, yeah, we decapitated your horse and put it in your bed while you were asleep. So think of what will happen if you say no next time again. Yeah, that's true. And the fact that they even can get into his house, his room, and the fact that how powerful Corleone is, that he has connections all the way in California as well. Mm-hmm. Exactly, yeah. But then there's this whole switch in um, Michael's character because we see Michael, and he's re- he, I think he has the most growth because he's very removed from the family business. He's a war hero. He's a college graduate, I believe. He doesn't want to have any part in the family business. He's going, like, Christmas shopping at Macy's with Diane Keaton. Uh, Very, very different compared to James Caan, his brother, Sonny. Mm -hmm. His his character arc was one of the best I think I've ever seen put to screen, honestly. And we'll talk about the end later, because I definitely want to talk about the end. But, yeah, it's like you were saying how he's... He is just so detached from this crime family down to telling Diane Keaton at the very beginning, like, that's that's my father, that's his business, that's what he does, that's not me. Um, 
and how he's legit. He doesn't want to get his hands dirty. But as soon as Vito gets shot and put in the hospital, it's like this total flip happens. And, you know, the rest of the family doesn't really take Michael seriously as a killer or as a gangster. And he's slowly kind of starting to take his take arms up and like planning to hit them back. Mm-hmm. And it really, it just goes to demonstrate how great the writing is in this film with these characters and how like meticulous every character's arc is and how important each character is to the overall story. Also, can we talk about that hospital scene? Oh my God. I was going to say that Holy was one of my shit. favorite scenes of the movie. That was incredible. That I, so when that scene was done, I looked down at my hands and there were fingernail marks in oh my, my hands. It was so <laughs> tense and so perfectly shot, perfectly edited. Like the, those shots of like the empty hallways of the hospital and you can hear footsteps and oh my God, it was so good all the way to the end where uh, the tear the goes down his face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Oh my god, what a scene. Um, first of all, I'm not I love this scene. Also, how did they get patients out of the hospital? Very confusing. <laughs> but like the whole idea of this is how much power the the mobsters have, and the fact that they can pay off the nurses, the doctors, have everybody evacuate the hospital when they know Marlon Brando will be in there alone recovering after five um, wounds, shot wounds. It's just incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't know what happened yeah. to that one nurse, but thankfully she was there and how quick on his feet Michael is. Cause if they had waited until Sonny and Tom came, it would have been too late. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, absolutely. I thought that the guy that came in with the flowers, I thought he was um, a bad guy. Sorry, which character? Like, there was a character that came in, and then uh, Michael was like, no, no, go away. You're oh, coming. yeah. And he was, like, holding yeah, flowers. Yeah. I thought he was the yeah, bad guy. Yeah, I thought guy. he was the hitman. And I was like, "Yeah, fuck, like, this isn't going to end well. Michael's going to get shot, or yeah. something's going to happen. And then... It turned out to be okay, but that's that's really just a testament to how well they shot the scene and built that suspense. They built that tension because it really is like you're kind of like squeezing your fists like anything could go wrong at any moment. Just kind of like stressing yeah. about it. And you're like, oh, it's so good. And even like the fact that Kabla thinks of putting like a half-eaten sandwich around you know, the lighting's kind of blinking in and out just so you can see that this place has been rushed and the people have been rushing out quickly mm-hmm. and and it's all uh, staged. Mm-hmm. Was And they knew that Michael would come on his own and the other gangs, I'm assuming, know that he is detached from the family, isn't a killer. Um, if if Sunny had came, I think it would have been a bit different. I, I was going to ask, why do you think, is it just because he was a hothead? Because Sunny is older than Michael, right? Mm-hmm. Why did they not want him to be uh, replacing um, their their dad? I think that's just it. Is that Sonny was a little bit too um, he yeah he was literally a hothead because you watch the film, you study the characters, and you realize that yeah, like Michael, he's calm, he, which is 
also just such a leap from Pacino's usual performances. But he's like, he's calm, he's calculated, he's meticulous. He can think his way in and out of situations under pressure. Um, whereas, like, he can strategize. He knows exactly what to do at any moment, um, despite whether it's something he's never done or something that that's, like, it's a tense situation for him. He always finds a way to, like, get out of it. Whereas I think with Sonny, mm-hmm. Sonny would just go in, like, guns blazing and essentially start like turf wars with left, right and center. Right. I think Sonny, he, he's just not necessarily a leadership role so much as he's sort of like a gunman role. And I think that Michael presents those leadership qualities to a fault, of course, but I think that he's probably the best suited. Yeah. I, I, I agree, and like I think Tom would be really good too, but he's not. Um, blood yeah, he's related. not a Corleone. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and then the next scene that really stood out to me with like the whole character arc of Michael starting to become one of the become like his father and and do his first assassination attempt after the police officer, you know, is involved with kill trying to kill. Um, his dad at the hospital scene, which was also really interesting because he punches him in the face. And I was like, whoa, like, do you not know that they're, they're mafia, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, I hated that police officer. I just hated him. Um, But then that whole idea of, in movies, I've noticed in a lot of them, and I took a, a screenwriting course, like back in 2018, and how we talked about how when a movie, like characters are saying, okay, this is the plan. This is what we're gonna do. And they set it all up. Usually it doesn't happen mm-hmm. that way when the scene comes. But in this case, it pretty much does. Except when Michael is in the car with um, the two guys he's going to kill. And they are going to New Jersey, possibly. And that really was like, whoa, what? They're like changing the plan and the gun is in the in the restroom at the restaurant in New York. And everything is... And I thought that was really well done. How it kind of does a little curveball, but then goes Mm -hmm. back. I do think that that scene, like, obviously that was also a great scene, um, which I could say about just about any scene in this film. But (laughs) with that one, they did a really good job of making it seem like, as you said, it could go wrong at any moment. Um, From, yeah, them kind of switching up the route and, like, they kind of tease you that they're going to go somewhere else, but they end up going to the restaurant uh, they sit down, start speaking Italian. Michael starts to kind of sweat. He starts like getting really tense and he's mm-hmm. just like abruptly like, can I go to the washroom? And then you can kind of tell that, uh, what was the guy's name? Solozo? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I always forget yeah. that name. There's so many to remember, man. I just call them by their acronyms. <laughs> um, but him and the cop, uh, you could see they were really tense. They were on edge. Michael goes into the bathroom. He's looking for the gun, but he can't find it. And then eventually he does find Mm. it. Oh my God. It's like, it's just beginning to end. There's so many moments of just like, fuck, like, did they, did they screw up? Did they forget something? Oh no, what's going to happen? And then it does end up working out, but it's like the build to it working out feels a lot more rewarding because of everything that almost went wrong prior. Yeah, 
And I was thinking, oh my god, they didn't put the gun in there. Tom or whoever it was did not yeah. put the gun oh in the restroom. <laughs> and I was like, Michael is short. Al Pacino is short. He's not going to mm-hmm. reach it. But he does. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, I feel bad for those people in the restaurant that like were bystanders. They were just trying to have a nice dinner, man. <laughs> They just watched like worst first date. <laughs> they just watched a cop and a mobster get gunned down, and they're like, "I don't, I don't want this spaghetti anymore, dude. <laughs> Send it back yeah. to the kitchen. This yeah. is gonna be cold." <laughs> um, yeah, feel bad for them, but he didn't even blink once, Michael. He just went for it, and I was like, "Okay, wow, this is really in your blood. Maybe even more so." And we find out more so the killing part than his father and that's kind of when the power really hits Mm -hmm. him i feel yeah i think between that and after the scene in like that whole sequence in italy i feel like after that is when he really kind of accepts his role as the godfather of this family as like somebody that like he has to take it over because especially with that scene in italy which by the way was a gorgeous sequence like i really really love that um obviously heartbreaking but after that how he kind of like comes to this realization that like as long as he's in this family you can't really like ever be a hundred percent out of it because people are going to get hurt regardless Yeah. yeah he can never escape that's true yeah that's actually a better time i think he notices when he shoot shoots them that he really finds himself able to do this but he still doesn't want to do it and then after his wife dies in Italy, um, this is spoilers, but I mean, I think everyone's seen The Godfather. Listen, if you're if you're um, listening to this podcast <laughs> and you haven't seen The Godfather, I <laughs> we already spoiled some. Just go watch it, dude. Honestly, I've never clicked on like a movie podcast without seeing the movie. That's the weirdest. Yeah, thing. right. I'll watch like YouTube podcasts. Like not and, like, judging you. I'll watch YouTube podcasts and people are like in the comments like, oh, why'd you spoil it? And I'm like, why are you watching? Yeah. Why are you watching? This is an hour podcast you in here. Watch it. Watch. Yeah. If you have time to watch the YouTube podcast then watch the movie first. Seriously. So yeah, there's some, uh, there's some spoilers in this one. Uh, so go watch the movie if you don't want to get spoiled or you don't care. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like. I did not know any of it existed in Italy. Loved the music mm-hmm. when we finally hear that gorgeous score uh, when he's in Italy. Um, and he meets, I don't remember her name, but the brown-haired girl. Um, yeah, that is also really interesting how he shows his power when he wants to kind of start dating her and tells the father, you know, um, like that he's a very powerful man, comes from a very powerful family. He's American and how his father is right away like, yep, you can see, you can see my daughter. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think a big thing for the father, because he was a Don as well, right? Oh, is that cute. I think the biggest thing for him is that uh, how respectful Michael was in that situation. How he didn't lose his cool after they were talking about his daughter like that. Um, how he immediately flipped it and he was like, look, I screwed up big time. I didn't mean any insult or anything. I just think your daughter's gorgeous. And with your like supervision of your family and your acceptance and all that. I would love to meet her. And I think that I feel like, especially in uh, this kind of lore, like this gangster lore that we've been like taught uh, through the film, especially through 
uh, watching Vito Corleone, um, that essentially manners really make it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, you know, you have to be respectful. You have to show that to really be able to get anywhere. And I think that no matter where you are, if you're a gangster, that really, really matters. And I think that's why that kind of pushed the father to be like, okay, yeah, like you can, you can meet her. I trust you. You were open. You were honest. You were respectful. I'll allow yeah. it. Um, Michael is very charming. He's very poised oh, yeah. <laughs> and together. I don't know if he learned that from being in the army. Um, he's he's very emotionless, but at the same time, he does bring a lot of emotion. I don't really know how to explain it. It's not like he's cold, mm-hmm. kind of like, you know, he's not like Anya Taylor joined the Queen's Gambit, you know? Like, there's there's emotion <laughs> there. Um, so it's, it is interesting. Well, I think with Michael, from what we've been taught, like, he's very, he's very calm and collected. He's a very stoic character, but he also does have empathy. And he does have, like, those emotions that make him human. Yeah. As we see with him uh, when he committed his first hit, to when his wife passed to the very end when he's like, I'll I'll save it for that (laughs) discussion because that, oh my God, I can't wait to talk about that. Um, Yeah, his courtship with um, the girl is very short and then she just dies. Yeah. Have you ever, have you ever seen that film, The American Mm -hmm. with George Clooney? The American? Is is that the one with, um, oh no, that's not the one with Ryan Gosling, is it? Because I've seen, no, 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 okay, never mind. All right, so it's one of my favorite films of all time. Uh, it's basically George Clooney plays a hitman uh, who's trying to basically get out of the life, uh, but he has one more hit that he has to do. Oh. Or not one more hit, but he has one more job that he has to do, and it's out in Italy. And it takes a lot of um, inspiration from a French film called Le Samurai. Um, the American is a gorgeous film, and this middle act reminded me a whole lot of that, of seeing, like, this man who's constantly looking over his shoulder, uh, falls in love, and really kind of, like, like, despite that this life that he's in, he can never really, you know, be at peace yeah. with it. Oh, that's cool. Anyway, I've, check, I've check out the up, film. So it's, it's fucking it's wonderful. It's actually on Netflix right now, if you're Canadian and you want to watch it. Uh, and it was made in 2010. Oh, cool. I don't know any of the... Mm-hmm. Um, is it, like, foreign? Yeah, I, th- okay. I think so. I'm pretty sure it was uh, either a French or Italian filmmaker. Okay. I'm not 100% sure, though. So, Do not no, fact no. check me on so that. The main actress's <laughs> name is Volant Placido. And then George Clooney. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm totally going to check that out if it's yeah. on Netflix. And you all should too. Yeah, it is brilliant. It's a really slow-paced film, but it's a very fascinating psychological, fascinating psychological character study cool. is what I tried to say. Okay, awesome. Um, so then after his wife dies, Michael's wife dies, he comes back to New York and he's basically more, like you said, okay with taking on the role of replacing his father um he sees diane keaton again i was thinking did he ever tell her that he had a wife i don't think so i don't think so (laughs) i don't don't think that ever came up and i don't want to like dwell on this too much but you know she's a teacher she has a career and she obviously gives it up the 
throughout the rest of the film, but the women in this movie are very weak and pathetic, and it's like a very bad portrayal of women. Horribly. I agree. (laughs) I was like, wow, the 70s is like not a great portrayal of women, if I'm quite honest. Um, If I had to have a criticism for this film, it would probably be that, in the sense that I don't think the female characters were developed quite enough. Um, I do think that they all play a fairly essential role to the film. I just think their characters overall were weak. They were wonderfully portrayed. And the actresses that play these characters are phenomenal. They do such a beautiful job. But (laughs) on the flip side... They don't um, have much of a role. I feel like... Yeah, I feel like they were definitely kind of sacrificed for... You know, this more sort of like, oh, manly story, uh, yeah. testosterone. Yeah, oh, alpha male, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, it's interesting. Yeah. Which is something that Sorry. Marlon Brando's character does bring up quite a bit as well. Like, oh, like you have to be a man about this. Oh, why are you crying like a woman? Yeah. And I'm like, dude, this is, I get it's the 70s, but yo, chill. I swear that's like what Marlon Brando lived by, honestly. He seems like the most <laughs> alpha male person. Um, you know? <laughs> I'm not going to say you're wrong because like I think you're children, right. I think so, you know, how oh many my God. like ones he doesn't consider his children as well. I mean, there might be like 20 out there, <laughs> but, um, yeah, that checks I out. Also, I won't, I won't stray too far away, but with the women, I also found it was interesting how they don't question anything really. And how, you know, they always called what their husbands or fathers do or brothers, like the family business as if it really is just mm-hmm. like a corner store, you know? And and they never really ask questions about where their husbands are going, but it's always the elephant in the room, but it's never spoken about. And I thought that was really interesting as well because that's like the wife mm-hmm. in Goodfellas as well. And the moment she tries to question it, um, you know, things kind of unravel. But it's really interesting how they just kind of think, oh, yeah, the money just comes off trees and they have all these great connections. And, oh, yeah, my father exactly, just yeah. goes into a room and talks to some people, helps them out. Uh, I was... Mm-hmm. Sorry. I think... No, I was just going to say, I do think that there's a couple cases where there... Like, we have a couple characters that are kind of outliers. Um, Talia Shire's character, Connie... Um, as the uh, pregnant wife mm. to that abusive asshole, yeah. for lack of a better term, um, who was, like, you know, constantly kind of outspoken about her role, um, which, you know, fair enough, the guy's a piece of yeah. shit. But, uh, and I'd even argue, especially towards the end, Diane Keaton's character. Um, yeah. And I think that throughout the film, it's not so much that they believe that, you know, like the money comes off trees, that kind of thing. But I think it's that they don't want to ask the question yeah, because they're terrified of the answer because the answer is when you think about it, quite horrifying. Yeah. Um, some of the things that these characters do to ensure their family survives. Um, and it isn't, yeah, until the very end when Michael makes a sacrifice to dear Connie and then, Diane Keaton finally is just like, question, question, question. Mm -hmm. What happened? Did you do it? Um, And Michael's like, this one time, I'll let you ask a question about my job. And then he lies. (laughs) Yeah. Well, he didn't lie because technically he didn't do it. (laughs) 
<laughs> they never get their hands too dirty. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's interesting because she knows the answer and the fact that she's even asking it is kind of silly. But um, yeah, it is interesting. You're right. They, they want a question, but they don't want to see their husbands. They don't want to admit to themselves that they married into this and that their husbands or fathers are these kind of people. Um, they kind of put them exactly, on a pedestal. Yeah. So also interesting why, and I know we shouldn't go to the end quote yet, but why the sister uh, is so upset about her husband dying when he treated her like a piece of shit. <laughs> yeah, like he cheated on her, he beat her. Like whipped he, like, her. <laughs> yeah, while she was pregnant. Yeah. I mean, like he had so much worse coming, I'm just yeah. saying. But yeah. It's definitely fascinating, especially for her character. Um, I don't... I, I didn't really read into it too much. Like, I think that her plot point was a little bit, for me at least, like kind of the weaker plot point because it felt like she was more, I guess, sort of a jumping point for Sonny's character to really kind of, like, show us that headstrongness mm-hmm. and eventually, like, lead to his ultimate demise. Um... I feel like if she wasn't in the film, obviously that would alter Sonny's character, but just, I don't think she was given enough. No, yeah, I totally agree. Um, Like, you really empathize with her, and Talia Shire does a phenomenal job as her, and it just makes, like, the sequences when Sonny's beating on her husband so much more satisfying. But I just, I don't think, like, she's got maybe, like, half an hour of screen time at most. (laughs) If that, I'd even argue like maybe fifteen minutes, because Marlon Brando only got he didn't like get as much an as hour I thought of screen he would. time. Yeah. Um. Yeah, you'd think that. Yeah. Would... Despite being highest billing. Oh, I bet. I bet very much. Um. Yeah, you'd think that <laughs> having like, uh, his daughter. You know, her biggest scene is her biggest moment in the movie is the beginning when she's getting married, and you'd think that her father would. I'm assuming, I mean, I don't know, maybe, are their marriages arranged? I don't know, that he would have picked a better guy for her. Um, but oh, totally. Yeah, it, that's kind of weird. Um, but also, I wanted to just talk about Sonny's um, demise and how he really, I mean, if, it, if his father wasn't sick, I bet her father would um, defend her when she was being beaten. But kind of Sonny takes on the fatherly role of his sister and, and beats her, his um, brother-in-law. Um, do you think that his brother-in-law had something to do with his death? I definitely think so. And yeah, me too. I, part of me feels like that's why Michael was kind of confronting him towards the end before he got hit. Um, is because Michael knew that he had something to do with Sonny's death. Um, cause my theory is that and it might have been stated in the film and I may have just missed it. But my f- theory is that, like, the husband went to one of the other uh, heads of the five families to order the hit on Sonny, which, you know, we know how that played out. And it was mm-hmm. tragic and, like, so brutal. gloriously brutal. And, like, it was, it, it was rough to get through. Um, and I think that Michael knew, which is why he got him killed at the end yeah i think also i forget his name but i think the the one that married in the the husband 
was really mad that he couldn't be one of the Corleones. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of resentment there. But come on, he did not have to kill uh, Sonny the way he did. That was so unnecessary. And I think the guy in the ticket booth died too. Yeah. He was just trying to do <laughs> his like job, this dude. poor man. <laughs> <laughs> so sad. And like when Sonny's trying to get out of the car, I'm like, oh God, stop. Mm-hmm. Like it was, it was very, very awful. And uh, I think there's a lot of resentment with Michael too that he couldn't be there when... When he died, if I'm correct. Yeah, he's mm-hmm. in Italy, I think. Yeah, he was yeah. in Italy at the time. And, and it the was, whole idea... Oh, yeah, sorry. I was just going to say as well, that was so rough for Michael, too, because his wife's father had to tell Michael what happened to Sonny. And then, like, immediately yeah. after, his wife got blown up. Yeah. So I think that, like, all of that kind of built to Michael being like, okay, I need to go back and I, I need to do things my way. Yeah, and I don't care, basically. I want to protect my family at all costs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Do you want to talk about the ending now, or, like, Marlon Brando's ending? (laughs) Let's just talk about the ending in general, because, holy shit, there's a lot to talk about. (laughs) Um, Um, Oh, yeah, sorry. No, go ahead, go ahead. I just wanted to say, I really like the scene, just before we get, like, too far to the end, Mm -hmm. when Michael is talking to his dad on the porch. I really like that scene between Marlon Brando and, and Al Pacino when Marlon Brando is able to sit up again. Mm-hmm. That was honestly, that was one of my favorite scenes in the film. Um, just seeing yeah. them have this sort of one-on-one conversation in like their backyard in the sun and like Al Pacino just kind of going to Marlon Brando for advice and Marlon Brando being like, yeah, like this is how they're going to assassinate you. Just be ready for that. And you can tell that, you know, Marlon Brando is getting older. He's getting a little more sick. He doesn't remember things quite as well. He's repeating a lot of things. And you're like, oh, this isn't gonna, this, this, he's got maybe 10 more minutes of screen time. Um, <laughs> and I don't know. I just thought that was such a sincere conversation because there wasn't anybody else around them. There wasn't anybody, like any other family um, it was just the two of them being really vulnerable to each other, being really sincere. And I thought that that mm-hmm. was just such a strong scene, especially for, you know, like a big gangster epic like this, where you don't get a lot of those quieter scenes. Well, no, for this one you do, but like for the standard gangster yeah. film, you don't. Not, so I like, not anymore. I really, really appreciated that and thought that both of them were so good. And I like that he becomes, um, Marlon Brando more human after Sonny dies and he kind of becomes more vulnerable and open because he's so devastated that his oldest son died. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then he has that lovely scene with his grandson with an orange in his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Did not expect him to die that way. I didn't I will either. say, I thought he was going to get shot in the head or something. I didn't know he was going to die of natural causes. I, um, I, I felt bad, very traumatic for Michael's son. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh yeah, he's going to be he's going to be going to therapy growing up. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't think that uh Marlon Brando was going to get killed off like quite as violently as maybe another character. I expect him to go from a natural cause. I didn't expect it to play out like that though. Um yeah. <laughs> I didn't expect him to like die in the middle of playing with his grandson, which made it so much more heartbreaking. I I don't know. I was expecting him to maybe like pass away in his sleep and then it just like 
cuts to the funeral or like that kind of thing. Cause the film definitely yeah. like it jumps around with time a lot, which I can kind of appreciate um, that it did so fluidly, but you know, I didn't expect us to see him die. Like, you know, go out like that. No. Oh, it's so sad. And, and just when he might've been like the first time he actually played with a child, <laughs> like he was always so busy with his own kids. Exactly. So it's like the first time he was really connected with a family member as a child. And I like how in that scene with him and Michael talking for one of the last times, how he said, it was kind of around the words of like the first person that comes to talk to you is the mole or the person that's against you. And then on the funeral, on uh, Corleone's funeral, the guy that comes to talk to to Michael is the guy that's the mole. And I just thought that was really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was really good. Um, let's talk about that baptism scene. Oh my god! Let's talk about that. <laughs> The sequence, oh. the way it's edited, and the music is amazing. That, he's literally, um, uh, sh- like in the eyes of God at that moment. And yes, now he is. Um, he is. What's it called? Oh, my words are so bad tonight. When you're like, when you're like being questioned by a police officer, and you're somewhere else, and not at the moment of the crime scene, so you kind of get out of it because you have. Um, oh, I can't think of the word. Anyway, mm-hmm. he's actually like at the baptism, so no one can suspect him because he is actually there mm-hmm. and he's not the one killing. And it's, it's just so good. That was firstly, that scene was some of the best editing I have ever seen put to a film in my entire life. That was so masterful and so brilliantly done. And just from a storytelling perspective, uh, the parallel that runs between, um, Michael, like, accepting his role as a godfather to Connie's son, but also accepting his role as, like, the godfather to this family, to this business that he basically is getting up to run this dynasty, while running parallel to him ordering a hit on all five of the head members of the other families Mm -hmm. and killing off all his enemies while he's, like, accepting this role as the godfather. And it, like... Oh my god, it is so brilliant. Yeah. And each one of them Ooh. are killed at like a similar beat, like the rhythm of the scene is so well done. Mm-hmm. Um oh, it's just and then again like that whole how it's such an irony that he is in the eyes of God while this is Yeah, occurring. how he's like conf- <laughs> he's like renouncing all his sins. He's accepting the existence of God, of Jesus. He's renouncing uh like his, you know, I guess his duties to the devil as a murderer, all of this while he's ordering the hits on five of the biggest mobster members in the city and just like cleans house in like the most epic yeah. way I've ever seen. Oh, it's such a perfect I think, I think, I think that was the moment where I was like, okay, yeah, <laughs> this might be the, the, I can see why this is considered a, arguably the greatest film ever made yeah because this might be the greatest film ever yeah, i don't made. consider this movie overrated and i don't consider it underrated i consider it like properly rated yeah like perfectly yeah. rated um yeah. and even just going through because i see it has like a 100 on metacritic uh from 264 reviews it's got like a 9.2 on imdb it's one of the highest rated films on the website um 
I think it has 100% on Rotten Tomatoes as well. And you can really see why, because it is such a masterpiece and just a masterclass of filmmaking. And there's a reason this is like one of the most studied films ever made. Yeah. And I love how we've kind of briefly talked about um, when Diane Keaton finally questions him for the first time and he says, you can only ask me this once, but how that final shot of her looking into the room, which is now the the room like what Marlon Brando was working in, but now um, now Michael is, and how the door just shuts on her face and it the door shuts on mm-hmm. us, the viewers, and it's just so good. And how everybody's coming in and kissing the ring and they're like Don Michael Corleone. And I'm like, oh, that's the best final line. Yeah, full circle for sure. Honestly, I might watch a sequel tonight. <laughs> go, go do it. This is, this is totally one of those movies where it's like, as soon as you're done, you're like, well, guess I'm staying up another three and a half hours to watch the next one. Or like, you ever have that feeling? I didn't have it with those, but where you're like halfway in a movie and you're like, like it so much that you want to start it from the beginning again. Yeah. 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 Totally. Yeah. I was I was halfway through the film and I had to take a quick break to go out and run some errands because I'm like, yeah, this seems like a good spot. Yeah. And I was just driving around thinking, and I'm like, wow, this movie is flawless so far. Oh my gosh. This movie is literally like from an objective standpoint, perfect. It is perfect. Oh my god. Um, well, before we do the final judgment, I just have a couple facts here because um, for Oscar month, I've been reading some facts. Of the picture. Okay. Um, but apparently, um, so as we know, it did win Best Picture. It received 11 mm. nominations altogether. It also won for mm. Best Actor for Marlon Brando. Um, and Good. Best Screenplay by Coppola and Mario Puzo. And Mario Puzo also wrote Part 2 as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's really interesting. It also got, and I've never heard of a movie doing this. I've heard of two, but not three three nominations in Best Supporting Actor. So that was for Whoa. Al Pacino, James Caan, and Robert Duvall. They all got nominated in the same category, which I've never heard of before. Can you imagine, like, <laughs> attending those Oscars and you're, like, you're sitting there with a movie that's got basically all, like, these big nominations in its fist and you're, like, the one outlier that's not in the film <laughs> for Supporting Actor. Yeah, I know. So I was thinking, and I've just looked it up now, they had such a good chance of winning because there were three nominations in that one category. Mm-hmm. But um, apparently it went to Joel Grey for Cabaret. Oh. So there we go. I've never seen that movie. I haven't either. But <laughs> I feel like it should have gone to Pacino, honestly. Yeah, me too. That's really weird. Although um, I th- think yeah. Pacino got one for Godfather 2, if I remember right. Because uh, that movie won six Oscars. Um, okay. I'm just looking it up. You're probably yeah. right, though. Yeah, um, I'm just pulling it up here, too. Yeah, so uh, it got Best Picture. Yeah. De Niro got Supporting Role. Uh, okay, yeah, he got Best Actor. There we go. Oh, nomination. No, he got a nomination for Best Actor. Are you shitting me? He didn't win. Man, ah. fuck the Oscars. He's only won once for Scent of a Woman. Ugh. <sighs> That's so weird. Okay, the Oscars are rigged. I mean, I'm kind of mad now. I, I don't even like the Oscars, and I'm doing an Oscar. <laughs> I, I'm never happy with how it turns out. Anyway, the other nominations uh, The Godfather got was Best Original Score, 
um, best sound mixing, best costume design, which I'm surprised it also didn't win, probably went to Cabaret, mm. and best mm-hmm. film editing. Hmm. Yeah, film editing, I don't know how that didn't win. It was amazing. I don't know how the score didn't win either, because honestly, the score was gorgeous. I really, really liked that. Um, yeah. Probably went to Cabaret. Let's poser. see. Uh, oh, wait. Um, it says it went to Limelight. Okay, so actually, the budget for this movie was $6 million, um, and it ended up making $287 million in the box office in 1972. That's, that's pretty good. <laughs> it was the highest grossing film of that time. It, um, the three most highest grossing films was Gone with the Wind, The Sound of Music bumped Gone with the Wind, and then The Godfather mm. bumped this one. Uh, Sound of Music, sorry. Damn, okay. So there we go. <laughs> um, Diane Keaton and Al Pacino dated, uh, on the set of this movie and they continued having an on and off again relationship until the third godfather <laughs> yeah i think that is that's a very long relationship because isn't the third one yeah in like the, the third 90s? one was uh oh shoot uh 1990 yeah so that's a that's a long on and off again that's... relationship <laughs> Um, Pacino actually wasn't going to play Michael. They wanted Robert Redford or Ryan O'Neill. Interesting. To play Michael Corleone. I can. Yeah, but Coppola always wanted mm-hmm. Al Pacino. I can, I can see them doing a good job, but honestly, I can't see anybody else other than Pacino in this role. Yeah, I think Robert Redford, um, is a bit like too clean cut for it. I don't know. Mm-hmm. He just seems too pretty boy like yeah yeah i agree um but james Kahn also auditioned for playing michael before getting sunny hmm. and martin sheen as well <laughs> which is really interesting that would have been fun to see i would have loved to see martin sheen as michael honestly <laughs> um robert de niro actually auditioned for sunny really yeah <laughs> um you can if you want to look it up for the people out there uh, you can look up Robert De Niro's audition for The Godfather Part 1 on YouTube. That's amazing, because clearly uh, yeah. <laughs> Francis Ford Coppola kept him in mind, because he plays a young uh, Vito Corleone in the second one. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. So they must have really liked his audition, but not as mm. Sonny. And then they didn't like James Caan as Michael. So they... Yeah, I can't see James Caan... Uh, I mean, the casting's so I well, I can't see Coppola him as Michael. Coppola has a hard time turning down people, apparently. <laughs> He's like, uh, okay, uh, you can have, um, this one. (laughs) I'll use you again. (laughs) Um, Marlon Brando was also not offered the role. Paramount did not want him. They originally Hmm. wanted Laurence Olivier. So, again, cannot see that. Um, you probably know this, but Marlon Brando, um, had this idea in his head to make Corleone as a like look like a bulldog so he'd stuffed um cotton swabs in his cheeks for the audition and Coppola liked it so much that they actually made him like a mouth guard to wear so it looked mm-hmm. like he had like a broken jaw nice it's it's so he looks so different from like 
I mean, he aged horribly, Marlon Brando, from, like, the 50s and 60s, but in, like, 10 years, yeah. he looks completely different after, um, from, like, 1973, from 1963 to 73. Because I was like going to say, too, person. like, watching this movie, I was like, wow, Marlon Brando really transformed himself for this role. And then after you tell me that, I'm like, oh, that's okay. <laughs> yeah, because I was like, how does he keep his jaw and his, like, mouth his, like yeah. that? He's so ugly. It took a bit of getting used to as well his speech pattern for this one. I was like, huh, I might need subtitles. but Yeah. I, I thought I did. See, that's funny. I put it on. I was like, what the heck? Like, I'll need subtitles. How did people watch this without subtitles back then? <laughs> and then I, then I got used to it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it took me a moment too. Um, I'm just seeing if there's one more fact here. Oh, I've got a fun trivia piece for oh, you. Oh yeah, yes. Please. All right. Did you know? So in an early version of the scene where they bring Vito Corleone home uh, from the hospital... And they've got, like, the whole family gathered around. They've got him in the bed lifting him up the stairs. As a prank, Marlon Brando put weights under his body on the bed to make it harder to lift him and see how well they do. Oh, my God. What a guy. (laughs) (laughs) He's such a weird dude. (laughs) Mm. He's great. I love him. He's really good. He's impossible not... Well, no, he's not impossible not to love, but... I love him. That thing is so strange. Need, He's like, yeah. Yeah. I need to watch. Are you familiar with Like, I really need to watch more of his movies. Uh, I'm trying to think what else he's in that I've seen. Because I've seen interviews with him. And the guy's definitely like, <laughs> he's a he's a fun one. Um, I've, yeah, I've seen him in a movie with Don, um, Johnny Depp called Do- Don Juan. Mm-hmm. Um but he's like, that's later in his career. And then I know he's known for a streetcar named Desire, but I have not seen that. He was also in uh, the Christopher Reeve Superman films, the first and second one. Oh. Uh, he played Jor-El, played Soup's dad. Oh. Um, Is that after The Godfather? Uh, I think so. Yeah, Superman okay. 1 came out in 78. Okay. And Godfather was 72. And then he came back for Superman 2, which was... Uh, oh, no, he wasn't in Superman 2, but he was in, I think, the Donner cut of Superman 2, which wasn't released until, like, 2006. Oh. I think he was dead by then. Yeah, yeah. 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 He was He was a really great method actor as well. Mm-hmm. Um, the last fact I have was... Um, Oh, actually, I have two more. First of all, the I really wanted to say this line that I really loved, leave the gun, take the cannoli. Uh, that was <laughs> improvised. <laughs> um, was it? Yes, it was actually going to just be leave the gun. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the actor, um, Richard Castellano, uh, decided to say, take the cannoli. It doesn't say why, but I mean, if it really was him, great idea, dude. That's brilliant. <laughs> Um, and there was actually, Coppola wanted an intermission in between, like, you know, those old movies where they have like the music playing and yeah, an intermission? Like the roadshow movies. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Hateful like Eight the did 50s, that. Yeah. And like all those fifties movies, mm-hmm. like with like Gene Kelly and stuff. Um, that's really interesting. Cause they did, they thought the movie was too long and they needed a break. Um, I didn't, I don't think that would have been necessary. I didn't need a break. Oh, no, I could have, like, happily watched that beginning to end. 
I just left because I had to. But, like, easily I could have sat through the whole thing. I mean, I sat through the Snyder Cut and the Irishman, so this was fine. I have not seen the Irishman, so... Go... Honestly, isn't that, like, four hours? Go watch it right now. Yeah. It's It's three and a half hours, and it's one of my favorite Scorsese films, if I'm being completely yeah. honest. That's that's good. Yeah, I like him. He's a great filmmaker. Um, I was I'm trying to justify like our generation of how like people our age watch, like don't want to watch a two hour movie, but then they watch like a ten hour TV show. Yeah, I'm trying to like break out of that. (laughs) Well, that's that's been my argument for people complaining about like the Snyder Cut, for example. Obviously, you know that that's like a four hour epic film. And people are like, oh, I don't want to watch four-hour movie. And I'm like, yeah, but you'll watch like five hours of a sitcom in one go. Yeah, I know. It, it's really weird. I try not to be like binge, yeah. binge watcher, but you know, sometimes, sometimes it happens. You just get those shows where you're yeah. like, I got to know what happens. Damn you, Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love Netflix. Um, <laughs> I, I don't really support jeff bezos but man the boys on amazon prime that just that's got a spot for me <laughs> i need to start um i don't have amazon prime but i need to start like looking into their shows because people have recommended a lot of good shows on there because i just have um disney plus and netflix but there's yeah. some great stuff on amazon prime i'm not gonna lie i'd a hundred percent recommend getting it even just as a free trial and just yeah. like like taking a few days off work and just blowing through a bunch of content. Yeah, I'm totally gonna do that now that I have a bit of a break yeah. before school starts. Because um, yeah, that uh, again, like it's not like we're going anywhere anyway right now, <laughs> so might as well. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Um, do you want to move on to the last judgment now? Are you ready? Let's do it. I'm in. Okay. So, did the Godfather move you or not? It definitely moved me. Um, I can say that with full confidence. The Godfather was a film that moved me. It is one of the best crafted films I've ever seen on a technical perspective, from an acting perspective, from a pacing perspective, and from a story perspective. Um, yeah, I'd, I don't think I've ever seen a movie quite like this one. So to say it moved me would almost be an understatement. I'd say it pushed me. <laughs> yeah i mean what would i say like can you imagine if you do a podcast in this movie and then you say nope didn't like it like of course yeah who the hell <laughs> is gonna it. say that <laughs> <laughs> um of course yeah you're gonna have like the the mafia against you if you, if you say that <laughs> say that you're gonna have marlon <laughs> maybe, brando coming after your with, ass with a horse head next oh to my you God. um <laughs> a very convincing um, of- prop we swear <laughs> Jesus Christ. That's what the six million came into for the budget. <laughs> All went to that horse. Oh, yeah. Um, of course this movie moved me. I mean, I'm so glad I've seen it now. I've, it's been on my bucket list as well as The Deer Hunter. It's like these... I've been trying to get through the 1970s movies since quarantine because mm-hmm. I think it's a really interesting decade. And in order to talk about the 70s, you have to watch The Godfather. And, of course, I'll have to watch The Godfather Part 2 soon now. Um, but it's a perfect movie. I mean, except for the fact that, like, the women characters are a bit weak. But I don't think there would have been enough time, really, to show that as well. It was really Michael Michael's story. Mm. And it was just so interesting to see so many young actors who I know now is, like, 80. And, <laughs> and the way that... Um, 
everybody knows Marlon Brando, the Godfather. Whether you've seen this movie or not, you know how he sounds, you know the face, and a movie like that is so rare to have such like a clear idea of a character in it without seeing it. There's very few movies that do that. Um, and his performance exceeded my expectations for sure. Uh, I loved the pacing. I thought it was going to be boring and it was not. Um, there was never a dull moment. And then I like how it goes against the whole idea of the American dream, which the production code was so for showing, you know, working Americans, you know, winning like money or, you know, working hard, having a career, um, you know, in those 50s with the musicals, everything that showed America in a positive light and how this movie is one of the first movies that goes against that and shows the gritty part of America, which is really interesting mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. yeah. Do you, um, I've asked this question for the Oscar movies. Do you think that a movie like this, if it was made in 2021, would win Best Picture in today's climate? Um, that's hard to say for sure. Um, I think that if it was this exact film that we got today, yeah. uh, it might get some criticism for its female characters, or I guess lack thereof. Um, but honestly, yeah, I think that even if it was made today, because like we touched on at the beginning of this podcast, um, this film has stood the test of time perfectly. It is still to this day mm. a wonderful film um, and just such a meticulously crafted film that, yeah, I, I'd argue that if it was made today, if it was released today, it would probably win a couple Oscars. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think it might be a bit more violent. I, I We didn't talk about it, but I really like the scene quickly when... Um, the, the, they're killing the young guy because he wasn't there when Marlon Brando got assassinated because he was supposed to pick him up. Yeah. And he got killed and how he's just like, oh, I got to go piss or something. And he goes out of the car and it's a whole stage for the guys to shoot the young guy in the car. Mm -hmm. And how nowadays they would show the murder happen. Yeah. But just showing the guy in the field um, doing his business and then the gunshot is r so well done. That's why I love these older films where you don't have to actually see the violence take place because our imaginations are so strong and vivid. We don't really need to see right. it. Um, that's It was just such a w interesting way to show that. Yeah, well, that's always been rule one of horror films as well when you look at them is that what isn't shown is so much scarier than what is shown. Um, yeah. Unless what is shown is like so just absolutely outlandishly horrifying. <laughs> Um, yeah. but what is yeah, James Cairn's death? <laughs> yeah. Right. Jesus. Um, but what is left to imagination tends to really stick with you a whole lot more. Um, and you do definitely see that in older films. Um, and yeah, this is one of those films where that was like a perfect example of that. Cause other than being so gorgeously shot, um, and edited. Yeah. What we imagined was probably a lot worse than what we would have seen. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you, Jamal, for coming back on the show to talk about this excellent masterpiece of a movie. Always a pleasure to be here. Thank you so <laughs> much for having me. Uh, I'll take any excuse to watch this movie again now. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to do... I'll have to watch part two, so I'll have to have you back. Oh, totally. I'm in. <laughs> 
because <laughs> that won Best Picture too, which is so cool. That one won um, probably yeah, like double the, the Oscars. Only this one did to ever do that. Yeah, mm. it's probably the best sequel ever made. I'm assuming in movie history. Uh, because it's, it's not really a sequel, right? It's more like a prequel. It's a, like a pre-sequel. Yeah, it kind of touches on both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's definitely ranked up there as another one of the best films of all time. So. Yeah. Definitely worth checking out. And I want to thank you all for listening. And don't forget to click the subscribe button. And if you have any movie or series suggestions you'd like us to do, you can email me at lowercase emma reviews movies at gmail.com.